Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be in Valley Center today. We don't get here very often. First time been in your building. Have a nice building here. Good fellowship I had last hour. Trust for this hour also. I spoke at the uh, Valentine's gathering last February in La Mesa. Some of you were there. Gunnar Henson has been one of my students on several occasions. And placed over in Italy, seen Giorgio. He's been one of my students. And so I've got, and some of the missionaries out there on the back board, I see one of my, some of my students. So it's great to fellowship with those who love the Lord and desire to honor him and serve him. Thank God for your pastor. Encourage him, pray for him, and I'm sure he'll be back with you sometime. <laughs> I try to enjoy where he is today. Some asked me if my wife is with me. I said, no. Uh, on Sunday, she plays the piano at a church in Mira Mesa. So this morning, she went her way and I went my way. We'll get back together, the Lord willing, after church. And uh, Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm... If you will, I'd ask you to pray for our seminary. God might continue to use it as a vehicle to train others to serve the Lord. Last evening we had an ordination service for one of our graduates. And at the same time he was ordained, a few moments later, a captain in the Navy stood before him. He took the oath of office, now as a commissioned chaplain. And uh, going to serve the Lord as Navy chaplain. So God's using the school. We need seminaries today that are standing true to the word. Psalm 2, very interesting psalm. You'll notice, by the way, verse 1 of chapter 1 starts with blessed is a man. Starts with a blessing, a benediction. Look at the end of chapter 2. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Psalm 1 begins with blessing and Chapter 2 concludes with a blessing. Let me read this chapter in the Psalms, and then I'll make some comments. Trust you have your Bibles with you. I asked the first hour. Have your Bibles with you? Can I see them? Oh, good. All right. Uh, Always good to bring your textbooks to church. (laughs) Right? All right. What do you say? (laughs) <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> Psalm 2 has been called the drama of the ages. Why do the nations rage and the people a plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let's break their bonds in pieces. And cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. You imagine God laughing? The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nation for your inheritance, and the end of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. 
You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with him. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed all those who put their trust in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is a very important psalm. If you read it through your New Testament, you'll find. You probably won't count them at the time. But there are 18 times where Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament. Most of all, most quoted psalm in the New, in the New Testament of all the Old Testament psalms. This verse, this chapter deals with the conclusion of God's program for the world. Why do the nations rage? The word nations here talks about the Gentiles. And the peoples plot a vain thing. Speaking of the Jews. They hear the Jews and the Gentiles gather together against the Lord. Now if you'll turn to Acts chapter 4. Keep your finger here. Turn to Acts chapter 4. You'll notice... Great chapter, by the way, in Acts 4. Before I read where I'm going, look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we, what, must be saved. Notice, by the way, John and Paul there at verse 13, the end of the verse. They realized that they had been with Jesus. What a testimony of that. Now come down to chapter 4 and verse 24. When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why the, the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, people of Israel gathered together. Now here is the Lord Jesus Christ being opposed by the political leaders, being opposed by the religious leaders, by Jew and Gentile alike. Now notice what happened at verse twenty eight. For to do whatever your hand and your purpose determine before to be done. God's program is right on schedule. He's never had a schedule, never behind schedule. That which he's determined to do, he does and he will do. Isn't that great? Therefore, put your confidence in him. How can you do that? You must be in the word of God. The word of God is our guide. The word of God is inspired, given by inspiration of God. It's for us to know, we can find there, find salvation, we can find eternal life, we can find the Christian way of life. Go back now to Psalm 2, if you will. At verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. 
Now, here's the first offer of the kingdom. Christ came to the earth to die for the sins of the world. Christ came and performed miracles, showing that he was the Messiah. The Old Testament said he would come in that fashion. He comes in the New Testament. What happened? The Jews did not receive him. As many as received him, to think of the power they've come to the children of God. But verse 11 says, He came unto his own, his own received him not. So the Jews did not receive him. The Gentiles said, Let's get rid of him. A young man, some 30, maybe 33 years of age, taken out of the cross and crucified as a common criminal. Was that an accident? No. God had predetermined. His son would come, he'd bear the sins of the world, he would die upon the cross. But thank God, he did not stay there. Acts 4 says, the Jews and the Gentiles gathered together against him. Here it is, mentioned. And look, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 9. You're never very far away, just turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. You'll notice in Isaiah 9, a verse passage that's often read at Christmas time. Look down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This talks about the coming of Christ at his first advent. Their child is born. The pre-existing son of God took unto himself human flesh and human nature. Born of a virgin, Mary. Unto us a son is given. The son is preexistent, eternal. The son is given, not born. The child is born. Here's his human nature and his divine nature. As you read through your Gospels, you might keep that in mind. Sometimes Christ acts in the realm of his humanity. Sometimes he acts in the realm of his deity. Example, if you will. Woman of the well. He was thirsty. Give me to drink. Sometimes he retreated. He was tired. He was hungry. That's in the realm of his humanity. In the realm of his deity, he performed miracles, manifesting he was the God-man, this unique person. So from the time of his incarnation, born of Mary, supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, it was not a virgin birth, by the way, a virgin conception. A natural birth, I would suggest. So this one who came from above, sent by the Father. Forty times in the Gospel of John, he says, he was sent by the Father. He obeyed the Father. He came. So this child is born, the son is given, the God-man. And notice it on in the verse. Uh, verse 6, the middle of verse 6. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name should be called. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So here in this passage, we have his first advent, born, given, his second advent, when he comes and the government's going to be upon his shoulders. Now, where is Christ today? We know 
He's the right hand of God the Father. He came, lived among men, lived a perfect life, taken out and crucified. He came forth from the, from the dead. Now remember when Christ died, he died as no one else has ever died. He died at his appointed will, at his appointed time. No one has ever said that and done that. When he was here upon the earth, he said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down to myself, and I take it up to myself. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful Savior we have. When he comes the second time, he'll come as a glorified God-man. He went away to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. He ascended to the Father, and there he is at the Father's right hand. Upon what throne is he? He's upon the throne of grace. Now, people can blaspheme his name. They can mock him. They can spurn him. They can scorn him. They can reject him. His grace and mercy keeps going out, desiring that people be saved. There's going to come that time, we'll see later on in their message. He's going to come off that throne. He's going to come to the earth in power and glory, meeting out judgment upon the earth. Now, what happens? Well, look back to Psalm 2. It says in verse 4, Let us break their bands in pieces and cast away their cords from us. you notice the word uh, there, there is in the capital, speaking of God. So they do not want God's restraints upon them. Are we living in that period of day? Hmm. Now, when I was a boy back in Kansas, I grew up in the windy area. I think all of Kansas is probably windiest, especially in March. I tell people that barbed wire did not hold that wind back a bit. It just blew and blew. After school, we'd come home, in March especially, cold wind. I'd put heavy jackets on. It seemed like that wind would just pierce us through. We'd go up in the back pasture line and fly our cuts. We were told if we put resin on the string, it'd be stronger. So we'd get, I'd got my resin on my mother's sewing cabinet, and I put resin on the string. And a group of us went out to the back pasture to fly our kites. Wind was blowing, we put a long tail on it so it'd stay up there, and the kite would just go higher and higher and higher, and that wind was just whipping through there, and it just tugged at my hand. If that kite could speak, I'm sure it could say, if I could just get rid of that guy on the ground, I'd go really go high. What happened when the string broke? Did it go higher and higher? No, it went down, down, down. That's a homey illustration of what our society is going through today. Let's get rid of God. Put him out of our schools. Put him out of our government. Do not recognize him. Make it illegal even to mention this name, to worship him, to honor him. Who knows what might be right in your future. We're headed that way, are we not? So instead of the civilization going higher and higher and higher in morality, behavior, in learning, man become more and more corrupt and vicious. Now turn, if you will, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Hold your finger, we'll come back. I want you to see, as Paul writes the book of Romans, look, if you will, 
down at verse... Let me break in at verse 18. Well, I'm going to move up a little higher, if I may. Book of verse 16. Let's start there, and then we'll get done where we're going. As Paul writes this book, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God and the salvation. I urge people to know what the gospel is. Because he says here, it's the power of God and the salvation. I appreciate quite a few churches around. And I'm still teaching at the seminary. Somebody at the break time asked me how old I am now. I'm 82 and a half. And uh, still able to preach. At least I try. And uh, enjoy it more and more all the time. But uh, I tell people that uh, always know what the gospel is. Sometimes as I preach around the churches, I just pause and say, what is the gospel? I just pause a while. I'm not going to do it right now, but I pause a while and say, now, tell me what the gospel is. And somebody shouts out, it's John 3.16. I say, that's a great verse. That's not the gospel. Somebody says, well, it must be uh, God is love. That's wonderful to know. But no, that's not it. Somebody says, the Bible. What's well, in the Bible is that's not the Bible. The Bible is not the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, do you have enough fingers to turn to another passage? I'll come back here. Turn to the next book, 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 15. If you don't have these verses marked, I urge you to mark them in your Bible. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the very next book after Romans. Now you've got uh, Psalm marked, and you've got uh, Romans marked, and now 1 Corinthians. Okay? 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Thank you. This is the great resurrection chapter. Notice how Paul starts it out. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the, the what? The gospel. Okay. Now notice these, a group of parenthetical statements, which I'll read and come back to it a little bit. Which I preach to you. Paul says, I preach this gospel, which you also, in which you stand... You're standing in the benefits of it now, by which you are saved. If you will fast the word which I spoke to preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which also I received, that. Now he's going to take up from the word gospel. I have in my Bible even put a line from the word gospel at verse 1 to word that at verse 3. Let's read it without those parenthetical statements of me. All right? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. The death and resurrection of Christ, the gospel. So without the resurrection, there's no gospel. Sometimes I've seen billboards out, out in vacant lands, out pasture land. Christ died for our sins. Said, well, that's a wonderful truth. That's not the gospel. Now, somebody who doesn't know anything about Christianity, doesn't know anything about Christ, come over from a foreign country, read that, might think he's still dead. He's not dead. He's alive, is he not? So the gospel is the death and resurrection. He was buried because he was dead. He was seen because he was raised. No, I repeat, no man takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down to myself, I take it up myself. 
No one could say that but God. Now, there are those who said that uh, some would come back from the dead. Now, one person buried back in Boston, we got all the last names correct, Mary, Baker, Garber, Patterson, Eddie. We, that's, those were married names, married about five times, founder of Christian Science. When she died, so they didn't believe people would die, don't believe in sickness. Somehow people got sick and died. I'm told they put a telephone down in her tomb so that when she woke up from her sleep, she could call them on the phone. One of them is still paying that bill today. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to go back there and check it out. So here you have then the reality of his death and his resurrection. See, she said, the blood of Christ no more vicarious when it was shed upon the cross than it was when it flowed through the veins. That's not true. The Bible says, without the shedding of the blood, there is what? No remission of sin. Now, why is it so important to preach this gospel? And look, I'll, I'll stop and want to go back to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. I might like to mark these verses. Chapter 4 and verse 15. Now, Paul, I believe, is using hyperbole here. He says, though you might have 10,000 structures in Christ. Now, they didn't have 10,000 structures, but even if you had 10,000 structures in Christ, yet even do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the what? The gospel. See it there? I'm your spiritual father. I present to you the gospel, which is the power of God and the salvation. So, always proclaim the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. Okay, having made that tour, let's go back now to Romans 1. All right? You with me? Now, notice at the end of verse 20, it is so that they are without excuse. Now, verse 20 talks about what we call natural revelation. There is a revelation of God in nature. See it there? Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even as the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So you have it also up in verse 18. I won't go back there right now. So here you have then a natural revelation. There is a God. Man reaches out. Now, why will that man not believe in God? Some, anyway. Well, if there's God, then I'd be accountable to him. So a way to explain it away, then, get rid of God. There's no God. Now, I'm not accountable to anybody. They live in a dream world, do they not? So you have, then, many, many professors, very intelligent in the natural realm, who say, no God, no God. Why? Well, they suppress the truth. Look at verse 18, in verse 18. Who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness at the end of verse 18. So that word suppress means to hold down. The man somehow knows there's a God. But they want to suppress that knowledge. 
so that I can do, they can do what they want to do without restraint. Now let's go to where I was going to go. All right? Look at verse 21. Notice what happens now when man goes away from God. Everybody with me there? Romans 1.21. Because of when they knew God. Let's stop, stop there. There, was, there were two times in world history when all the world knew God. Can you name them? Well, Adam and Eve. All right. And then what happened to that generation? That descendants there. Up until the flood. When the flood came, I've been told, it could have been a billion, three hundred million people upon the earth. Some say more than that. How many were saved out of that? Eight people. Noah, his wife, and their sons and their wives. Eight people. All the world knew God. Those two times. Now, what happens then? Although they knew God, they glorified, did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Unthankfulness is the beginning of a downward trail from God, downward trail away from God. By the way, I believe that how do we know we're spirit filled? Well, I think one reason is we give thanks to God. And everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The opposite of that is refusing to give thanks. So ingratitude, we could put that word in there. Notice the next word at verse 2. They became futile, they came, became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish heart, hearts were darkened. Professionally to be wise, they became fools. Hmm. What's the next word? Ignorance. And I'd like to mark those words down. Ingratitude, now ignorance. So here you have people, highly educated, saying those no God, they're certainly not thankful. And they become what? They become fools. So we have then a lot of ignoramuses who are highly educated. Now we're all ignorant in some areas. I grant you that. So, ingratitude, not giving thanks to God, ignorance, then what happens? Look there at verse 23. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What is that? Idolatry. There's the third word. Now, what is idolatry? Paul says covetousness is idolatry. Anything to put in the place of God is idolatry. And they, some even build images. When I was in India, been there a couple of times teaching, I spoke to about 135 pastors. I taught the book of Romans one time over there for a week. And we used to drive down to the meeting hall where we were going to meet. We had to go by these idols. Some of the most gruesome-looking critters, creatures, behind the glass enclosure. People would come. They would uh, put money down before them, even bring food to them. 
I'm sure they ate that food, aren't you? Idolatry. So Paul says, covetousness is idolatry. Now back in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel became so deviant in their behavior, they went out and brought in idols from the heathen and brought them right into the temple of God. Very place where God dwelled. Read that in Ezekiel. And they, they became worshipers of idols instead of the living God. So man is inherently evil. Man inherently, by nature, goes away from God. Then what happens? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies among themselves. Heard the other day somebody say, well, homosexuality will bring the judgment of God upon our country. Well, that's true, but let me say something else. Homosexuality is the judgment of God upon our country. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Here's immorality, you see. In the lust of their hearts, they dishonored their bodies among themselves, who changed the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice the verse 20. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Look at verse 28. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the end of that verse. Do those things which are not pleasing, not fitting. Notice verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are, worship, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Are we there yet, folks? Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know in the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to do the same, but to approve of those who practice them. So here's the man then without restraints. God places within him natural restraints. God places within him a sense of the, that there must be a God out there. Left to himself, he made idols. Left himself, he follows on and treacherous and devious and immoral ways. So a country cannot survive very long with all the homosexuality around. It used to be we didn't even mention that word in public, and especially from the pulpit years ago when I started preaching. It's been a while back now. But uh, things have changed. I started preaching in 1946. A lot of things have changed since then. And the uh, our nation now, not perfect, never was. At least there was a sense of God's presence. I'm not saying everybody's a Christian. I'm not saying there weren't those who went off and did their own thing, but as a whole, they had respect for God, even respect for the Bible, even though they did may not know what it said. At least some respect for it. So here we are. Now coming back then to our 
our text. We finally get back there to Psalm 2. All right? See, verse 3 says, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. This is the restraints of God he places around man. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Now, can you imagine God laughing? I'd, I'd like to say God's probably a happy God. This is not a laugh of hee-haw, but a laugh of scorn. Little ants down on the earth calling themselves people, acting like animals rather than people. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And distress them in his deep displeasure. Now, earlier I mentioned up at verse uh, 2, the rulers will take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Here's the first offer of Christ made to the Jews. And he came to his own, his own received him not. Now you're going to have a second offer down here at verse 6. What's going to happen here? God, Christ is going to come, set up his kingdom. I'd like to have you go back then, if you will, to the book of Revelation chapter 19. I mentioned to the group this morning at the first service, I said, Hope you are mindful that Revelation, the outline of Revelation, should be able to think your way through the book. Well, my, it's 22 chapters. How would everything my way through the book? Let me give you a little outline for Revelation. Past, present, future. Isn't that hard? Past, chapter 1. Present, chapters 2 and 3. Future, 6 through 22. Excuse me, 4 through 22. That's pretty easy to remember, isn't it? See, if you get a little road map, now, if you were to drive from here to New York without a map, of course, today you have your, your maps on your, whatever you call those, get uh, You If you go without a map, you could finally get there. You might make a lot of windy turns to getting there. So you get your map out, or your what, iPod today. I visited a home the other day. She had, uh, we entertained some missionaries, and, and um, the husband of one, uh, had to stay back in Illinois, and but he sent his wife, and she was driving this missionary around, and we'd not seen the missionary for probably 45, almost 50 years, been faithful down in Uruguay speaking. Anyway, uh, her chauffeur, Heather, nice lady, said, my husband bought this for me before I left home. She showed me the iPod. I'd never been up close to one. I was curious to see what it looked like. There it was. She said, like there. I said, what's your address here? She told me. And well, I'll put your house right on my map here. And sure enough, the moment she had uh, our house right there. What about your school, seminary? Where's it located? I told her. Just a little bit. She had the whole picture of Shadow Mountain Church on one side of Greenfield, our seminary on the other side. See it all. Wait a minute. She get there. So if you take the book of Revelation... Get an outline, you see. See the whole thing as a whole. So, just get the outline in your mind. Past, present, future, you can all remember that. One, 
the path, the vision of Christ, the glorified Christ. Chapter 2 and 3, the church, that's present, that's what's going on now. In chapter 4 and following, you have the future. But look in Revelation chapter 19, if you will. Now, chapter 19 of Revelation is the second advent of Christ. Remember, there are two advents of Christ. His first advent, when he came to the earth, took upon himself human flesh, died for the sins of the world. Second time, he's going to come in power and glory to the earth. He offered himself, they rejected him. He came in his own, his own received him not. He's going to come the second time in power and glory, and guess what? We're going to come with him. Isn't that great? Look at verse 11 of chapter 19. Now I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse, he who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who is supposed to? That's none other than the Christ, you see. The glorified Christ coming back to the earth. I always mention that both advents are to the earth, first and second. Both advents are to Israel. There's going to come that time when he comes the second time. Their eyes shall be opened. They'll see him whom they have pierced. What a day that'll be. Matthew chapter 23, he said, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to go away. You Jews will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When will they say that? When he comes the second time. I know it's verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. Had a name written which no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name was called the Word of God. What a title. In the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. The Word was with God. The Word, what? Was God. Was deity. And the armies in heaven, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horse. Who's this army? Who are these armies? None other than the New Testament church saints, those who were saved from Pentecost until the rapture takes place. We're going to come, remember, Christ has a unique relationship to the church. We're heirs of God and what? Joint heirs with Christ. Can you fathom that? I cannot. I can just announce it. We're not going to, he's not going to be up here and we're down here. No, we're going to be side by side. We're going to judge with him. We're going to reign with him. What the day that will be. Now verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a what? A rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fairness of the wrath of Almighty God. Has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to be king over every king and Lord over every king. Every Lord. Well, back to Psalm 2. All right. You follow with me? Look at verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Now, begotten has to do with priority and does not mean generation, not mean created. He's a uniquely begotten Son of God, eternal with the Father and with the Spirit. Always keep in mind, all three persons of the Godhead are equally, fully, and simultaneously God. Always put that word simultaneously in there. And what's a good example of that? Well, when Christ was baptized, notice, there was God the Father speaking, the Spirit of God descended upon in the form of death, Jesus was being baptized. One God, three persons, all God, by the way, equally and fully God, and simultaneously. I reason I put the word simultaneously, and I just give this free of charge. I wasn't going to do it, but I will. That some say when the Old Testament, the Father was prominent. Now in the Gospels, the Son was prominent. Now the Holy Spirit. They say there's one person in the Godhead, he just takes on different modes of existence and manifestation. That is not true, folks. Always keep alert for that. We do not believe in, in the oneness position. All three are fully God, but there are three separate and distinct persons. Notice verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, or the Gentiles for your inheritance. Now, some have used this for a missionary verse. I think that's wrong. Uh, see, some about deity here. Christ, God the Father is talking to Christ, the, God the Father is talking to Christ the Son. Ask of me, he says. I'll give you the Gentiles for your inheritance. Aren't you glad he included the Gentiles? There might be some Jews here, that'd be great. But aren't you glad he included the Gentiles? Now, what is God's program for the day? Well, mark down Acts 15, 14. I won't have you turn. I'll just tell you what it is. But mark it down in your own mind or mark it down in your paper. God is calling off among the Gentiles a people for his name. That's God's program for the day. I was sharing with their brother coming up here, Tom, my friend here, wanted to come with me, and I said, that'd be great. He keeps me awake, and I drive, and we talk. <laughs> I was sharing with him. I've been around longer than he has. I was sharing with him. I remember as a boy, there were those who were fighting the liquor industry. Prohibition had just been repealed, and, and uh Liquor and just trying to get more more foothold. There's those who are campaigning against liquor. Well, I'm against it. But that's not our mission, folks. If you get somebody saved, you're getting straight down on that, won't you? Hope so. And then later on, uh, communism came along. You've got to fight communism. Well, I'm against communism. I've been to those countries. Right, right after the Iron Curtain went down, within a year I was over in, in uh, behind what was called the Iron Curtain. It went down. I'm not sure whether it went down or up. Anyway, it opened up. We were able to go in and uh, talk to a storekeeper there at, in Kiev, Ukraine. We were, we had a Saturday off, seeing some sights. And, and the storekeeper spoke to me. And he came out and said, 
Well, you, you folks from America, yes. What are you doing over here? I said, well, you come over to teach the Bible. He said, oh, he wasn't a Christian. He said, oh, that's great. Our people, our government told us no God, and look what happened to us. Hmm. I said, well, it's here. Our nation is trying to go that direction. They're trying to get out of it. Not the leaders, but the people. Anyway, now notice what happens here. The nation for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. See, God's program for today is a calling off among the Gentiles a people for an Thank God for those who are saved in Israel, from Israel. It's hard to reach the people of Israel. Not impossible. Keep sowing the seed, give it out the gospel. People can be saved from Israel. But God's primary program today is for the Gentiles. That's what Acts 15, 14 says. So don't get sidetracked. I'm sure you won't. Don't get sidetracked on some trail that sounds good. Someone's trying to get on the political bandwagon. Well, I won't get into that, but except to say that, uh, see, there are those who say, well, you... Let's get Christians into local office. Then get Christians in the county office, get Christians in the state office, then get Christians in the, into the national office, we'll change our whole country. And people are getting sidetracked on that basis. Be careful. Keep your eye straight in the Word of God, Paul says. Now, you shall break them with a rod of iron, verse 9. the nations break them with a rod of iron this is the second advent of Christ we talked about the first advent of Christ when he was rejected up here now the second advent verse 9 you shall break them with a rod of iron you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel that's going to happen Revelation 19 we won't turn there now now, therefore, be wise, O kings. By the way, if I could mention this, didn't have, don't have time to develop everything. But uh, in the first part, you have God the Father. Second part, you have God the Son. Now you have the Holy Spirit, I believe. Ten to two. Oh, you might study that through more on your own. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judge of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Now, this is not a kiss in an erotic sense, but a kiss of submission. That's very, you read through your Old Testament, you'll find it. Even countries over there today. A king will have a subject uh, kiss his foot or his toe as an act of submission. I won't get too far afield, but I'll shudder when I see the cardinals being inducted into the uh, kissing the ring. That must be a lot of uh, germs there, huh? Anyway, won't get, excuse that, all right? Notice now. Kiss the sun. This is a, an act of submission. 
lest he be angry and you perish in the way. His guns of invitation, you see. When his wrath is kindled but a little, I keep emphasizing the people that God, Christ today, is on that throne of grace and he's going to come off of it and pour his wrath out. Be careful. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I asked a question the first hour. You, didn't have to, you don't have to answer it loud. How many times does the word faith appear in the Gospel of John? Zero. How many times the word faith, uh, belief mentioned in the Gospel of John? Ninety-eight times. Same word in the original. One's a noun form, one's a verb form. John was written, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life through his name. Here's the invitation. You see, God always, as he talks about his wrath, his judgment, he always gives the invitation. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. One professor said, this is probably a repeat of John 3.16, for God shall love the world. Give his only begotten Son. Whosoever what believes in him has faith in him, trust in him. Those who submit to him will experience joy and peace. If you don't know him as Savior, I'd urge you to trust him today as your Savior. Shall we bow? Father God, thank you for your word, how rich it is, how powerful it is. May we as believers Seek after to know it better, study it more deeply, to realize all that you're doing in this world. Thank you for the promise you give us. Thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you for our good fellowship today. There might be some who do not know Jesus as Savior. We pray that they might they might receive you, receive Christ as Savior. Before I close, if you're not saved here today, whether boy or girl, young person, man or woman. I urge you today. Believe that Christ died for you upon the cross. He bore your sins. He rose from the dead. You cannot save yourself. You can come and trust in Him. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.